0: We're always flearning and that's, you know, we're failing and learning. I have to give them permission to fail in that mm. too and to learn things from it and to try something else next time.
1: Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, fuel your difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So, in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests, or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organisations and communities. Coffee Potters, I'm pumped to introduce you to this week's guest. Kelly Reardon is a manager at the ABC and was one of the original trailblazers behind the podcast medium in Australia. So she's designed and developed some of the earliest content in this whole platform in Australia and now leads a lot of the product development in that space for the ABC, working on content ideas, audio storytelling, digital strategy, you name it. Her story and the experiences that she shares around how to drive change within a large organisation, the art of influence. Her reflections on the period of journalism she's been involved in and how communications fundamentally changed, let alone all the other tip bits are thrown in. I can't tell you how much pragmatic advice is packed into this podcast. So let's take it away. Here's Kelly Reardon. Kelly Reardon, thank you so much for making the time to join us on Coffee Pods. I'm thrilled to be here. I've been so excited and so much looking forward to this conversation. You were introduced to me as the proud mother of the podcasting industry in Australia. (laughs) That means I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all, but very much the woman behind or playing a very significant role in that vanguard of, of new communication and new media. But I wanted to go well back to the start. Kelly, as a young woman,
0: where did the passion for media broadcasting kick in? Look, I was a finalist in the Channel 10 Newsreader competition at World Expo 88 when I was in primary school. (laughs) So maybe it came from there. Um, Look, I think as I went through high school, you know, I was was interested in speech and drama and English and stories. And I, you know, did pretty well at school. And so I sort of had it in my mind that journalism would be a good blend between, you know, my love of... um, of the voice and I guess some people would say performing um, and also, you know, English and, and social history and politics and things like that. So I did do some work experience at CFM, the commercial radio station on the Gold Coast when I was, I don't know, year 10 or 11. And then I had this weird moment in my life when I finished year 12, um, I got a scholarship to do journalism at Bond University, but at the same time I'd auditioned to get into um, the speech and drama course at QUT and got into that as well. So I had to sort of make a decision, decided to forgo the scholarship at Bond University and, and follow the speech and drama path. I didn't really want to be an actor, but I was interested in being a director. Okay. But quite literally two weeks into the course, I was like, "What have I done? This is the worst decision ever, this is the, uh, this is not my place, this is not where I want to be. And I was quite young, I was only seventeen, and most of the people that get into those drama courses and NIDA and things have a um, little bit older. They're aren't they? a bit older because yep. it takes you a few years to get in usually, and you've got some life experience, whereas I was a you know reasonably naive seventeen year old. So it just freaked me out. And then I found myself in this position of, you know, week three of university and I'm dropping out. <laughs> so I think I did what demonstrated um, excellent journalistic skills, which was I hit the phones and I rang. I still can't believe I did this. I rang the head of QUT's journalism school. Seriously? Just cold called him. Yeah, the, like, you know, the head of the of the department and said, Hello, my name is Kelly Reardon. Um, I really want to be a journalist. I kind of let go of a scholarship that I should have probably taken <laughs> up and now I don't have a course. And I know we're three weeks into semester, but how about, you know, places have been filled, all the rest of it. I mean, incredibly ballsy when I think about it now. And he must have just thought, look, if she can talk her way into this course, she could probably become a journalist. (laughs) So that's what I did um, and and studied journalism. And then I did start my career at the ABC, um, you know, basically while I was still in third year of university. So where does that chutzpah come from? Do you know what? I think it comes from, you know, being in a family where my parents encouraged me that you can sort of do anything you want to do. And they weren't pushy. In fact, far from it. Um, They let us do, you know, I'm one of four kids. They let us do kind of whatever we wanted to do. But I went to a state school on the Gold Coast, which wasn't particularly academic. And there weren't a lot of kids around me that really wanted to push on. And I did. And what that taught me was no one's going to do this for you. You've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it for yourself. And I think that has held me in really good stead through life because there's no you know, there's very few cheat ways to get ahead in life. You've got to do the work. You've got to put in. And I am a big believer in you get out what you put in. And so I think, you know, I just Always thought, look, no one's gonna hand this to me on a platter. I haven't gone to the best school in Queensland and I, you know, I don't have a a parent who knows someone who knows someone. Like I just have to put my head down and get the good marks and get the good grades and talk my way into things myself. So
1: when you started out, you know, walking to the ABC, those early days, did you have a plan for what you
0: wanted your career to look like? I did want to be in radio, but I actually started in the news digital team, and that was really fantastic in a lot of ways. I only spent a year there, but it was right when the ABC was setting up the news digital website, so it's, it's 1997. And it's the first foray, and there were literally six or seven of us coming up with this news internet site thing. You know, it was, re- it was right at the moment when the internet was taking off. So I was in on the ground floor of that, and it taught me, um, it gave me a national view of the news because it was a national news service. And so even though I was in Brisbane, I was working on a national team. And it also, just really clued me into what this whole internet thing was going to look like. A steep learning curve, I would have thought. It was massive because I had no idea how to code and you didn't you didn't really have to code, but you had to do sort of minor bits of coding and understand what it meant. Um, but again, that was a really good foundation. And I, I did move into radio a year later, but that stint um, really gave me a strong understanding of how Media consumption habits were shifting, mm. and it also gave me my husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Who I did very important chapter. <laughs> That's right. Who I didn't date at the time, but I did later. That's where I met him. So, um, so two happy things to come out of that year. Very productive
1: year in digital. <laughs> there we go. I-, I wanted to touch on that piece with you around uh, transformation in in consumption habits because I think you the period you would have been in the media uh, thinking about kind of that 1997 period where really you know we're before Y2K the website's just becoming the new thing. And now you think about social and streaming and these whole new frontier we've got. Talk to us about how transformative a, a period you've been involved in and how easy or not that's been to navigate.
0: Yeah. So I've now been in the media for more than 20 years. And when I think about the rapid scale of change, it, it's quite overwhelming. And, and certainly- While in many ways around the strategy of that, I'm still, you know, I hope at the forefront and, you know, podcasting is a digital delivery of audio and so we have to think a lot about our digital play. But then I see these guys that are doing, you know, Insta stories and 360 videos on things and, you know, just... The amount of skill that is now required to work in the media is phenomenal. Like my husband, who's also um, an excellent digital editor and works on the ABC's interactive digital plays um, for news – you know, recently, he went through a whole bunch of interviews um, to find some new um, staff and we were both laughing saying, we wouldn't get a job these days. You know? <laughs> look at these kids. They're amazing. They've got incredible skills. But I think as well as having the skill, what I really look for is the people who have the strategic thought around it, because it is one thing to just know how to do it. It's quite another to think about how you unpack a story for an audience on a certain platform um that's quite senior editorial thinking that's mm. required for those sorts of things so there's there's two prongs to it one of the things that i like to do sometimes is sit people Um, in the office next to other great people. So if I've got a young producer and I go and plonk them in the middle of the conversations team with Richard Feidler and Sarah Konosky and Pam O'Brien who produces it and Nicola, they're all, and Michelle, they're all outstanding And you can just by osmosis sit next to those people, listen to the way they deal with talent on the phone, listen to how they um, give feedback to presenters, listen to the way Pam talks to the sound engineer. I mean, there's so much to learn just by hanging out with those people and the way they work. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. And I guess there's two
1: lenses I'm coming from here. When you look at that 20 years, what's been kind of the most transformative trend from a communication standpoint, but also in leading and managing people? What's
0: been the most significant shift there? Um, I think with managing people, it's authenticity. Um, You know, I am a bit of a straight shooter and I (laughs) call a spade a shovel, (laughs) um, my staff would tell you, but I would like to think that comes from a place of just being authentic in my communication style. I don't believe in sort of management speak or a whole lot of words that don't mean anything. Um, I think... I give my. I come. I try to drive a strength-based culture in my team, and so I look at what's working, um, so that you can build on that. And getting people to unpack what's working, because there's nothing worse than a boss that says, "Ah, oh, great job on that show today." I mean, what does that mean? Mm. But if you say to someone. Gee, that was a fantastic interview. I really liked the way all your questions were open. Um, I liked the through thread of the narrative arc where you went from this topic to this topic. Um, you, you picked the right things to interrupt the guest on and when to pull back. You know, you've got to give people specifics when you're giving them both both the positive feedback and also the constructive feedback. So I'd like to think that, you know, my staff... You know, they know what I'm thinking <laughs> most of the time. Um, and then in terms of sort of, I guess, technologies and the way the media has gone, it's just really the consumption of it on a mobile phone. I mean, there is nothing that has changed the way we consume news like that has in such a rapid amount of time. And it'll be interesting to see how smart speakers, as as they take off Google Home, Alexa, they may become as ubiquitous as the mobile phone. Mm. I feel like we're on the cusp of that moment when people just started to get phones and some people had them, but not everyone. I feel like that's where we are with smart speakers and fast forward five years and everyone will have one. I could be wrong.
1: One of the through lines that seems really consistent in a lot of what you've talked about is just how energised you seem to get by new ideas, new opportunities. Uh, Have you always been someone that's just jumped with two feet into whatever's next and been quite comfortable kind of almost learning through doing?
0: Yes, I would say that. I mean, I've never read a manual in my life, <laughs> as my husband would tell you. Um, have you read the manual? No, of course I haven't. I've just pressed all I the need. buttons. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, and I do try to drive that with my team as well. Have a go. Um, we call one of the one of my executive producers came up with the phrase: "We're always learning," and that's you know we're failing and learning. So I, because we're a team that has to innovate and try different things and try things that have never been done before. Mm -hmm. Of course, I have to give my team permission to do that and I have to give them permission to fail in that Mm. too and to learn things from it and to try something else next time. So I I would much rather have a team of people who push boundaries and muck about and roll their (laughs) sleeves up and try something and get it wrong sometimes than a team of people playing safe.
1: And I love that piece around permission, because I feel like at the moment, we've got a lot of people talking about this. Oh, we've got to take risk. We've got to to fail to learn, but very few organisations where that's actually behaviourally reinforced and you're not in trouble because the KPIs go in the completely opposite direction.
0: Should you take risk, you're actually putting yourself out there for the firing squad. I think that's the problem with KPIs. Yeah. um, Is that the, by their very nature, they're hooked on quite concrete things. So their KPIs on downloads of podcasts or a number of eyeballs on a digital article. Where's the KPI on collaborating effectively across your organisation? Where's Where's the KPI about building successful teams? If you don't recognise those soft skills, completely, um, you don't build a great culture and then you don't get the great the great KPIs on your downloads or any of the hard targets that you have. So I feel like this KPI culture, um, you know, it, it's somewhat flawed. So I wanted to ask you about that moment
1: where you you crossed the threshold into the podcasting world for the first time. Can you, can you take us to, to that
0: moment of your career? I saw an opportunity to create, you know, true or pure podcasts that weren't heard on the radio mm. and which were conceived of to be consumed via earbuds and a mobile phone as opposed to someone having the background radio on. They're two very different things. You, when you're doing radio, um, it's often on in the background. Other people, you can dip in and out, et cetera. With most podcasts, they are very immersive experiences that you consume alone mm. when you're running. They're more or, intimate, aren't they're they? They're much more intimate. So we did a couple of experiments um on some digital first podcasts that didn't have a radio life and they went reasonably well and then I started to agitate even more and sort of that second wave of podcasting was happening. So now it was around 2014 when Serial was exploding and I was listening to a lot of Gimlet podcasts and things coming out of WNYC and I was just saying we need to be on this. But of course in the ABC, you know, resources are always challenged. There's, mm. there's not often more money to do more things. And so you're always weighing off, if we put more money there, where do we have to take it from? So those aren't easy decisions. And we have a fantastic linear audience. and But we could also see the digital or on-demand on audience growing. So eventually um, I wore them down. <laughs>
1: well, I was going to ask what was the key to kind of almost tipping the domino, so to speak, because I think a lot of people are on that journey, whatever their idea or their particular initiative, that the change they're trying to drive, is there's that piece around needing to influence the, the broader organisation and be able to, to get the confidence that there is something in what we're talking about.
0: Look, it took a few years and I made some mistakes in that. I think sometimes my tendency, because I get Excited and energised by ideas is to sort of, I can come across as too pushy or a bit bit over the top with my energy, I think, instead of, you know, I think sometimes I let my passion and my energy drive my argument, whereas I should let the kind of facts and figures and build a case around the opportunity. So sometimes I wasn't, I don't think, as effective in trying to convince people this is what we should do. Um, But other times I was continually drawing out examples from overseas where things were working and saying, what if we did this? What if we did that? And it wasn't just me. There were other people, um, you know, a really great little team called First Run that were doing these experiments. So the other master stroke, I guess, in convincing people was I became reasonably friendly with the chief content officer at WMYC in New York. And he eventually came out to Australia and I said, look, I'd love to take you into one of my executive meetings. And I think him sharing the success that they nice. had had, because um, sometimes you can't be a prophet in your own land. And you need to find other people that don't have skin in the game. He could just kind of come in really cleanly and say, look, this is what we did. And this is the success we've had. And I think really that shifted things in a lot of people's minds. And so we built ABC Audio Studios, which is really a digitally um, focused audio production house. And we started really doubling down on that pure podcast play. So we started just over a year ago with a couple of titles. Um, it's amazing to think it's all happened that quickly. And here we are a year later with, you know, triple the downloads we had a year ago wow. and Congratulations. you know five times the amount of digital first podcasts, which is so exciting.
1: I feel like one of the things we're talking about a lot at the moment is that the challenge of short attention spans, the difficulty of getting engagement, this noisy world, that 24 or seven, you know, media cycle, What has podcasting taught you about how to engage people that has sort of application to to
0: broader communication? I think it's flipped that idea that that short attention spans are the only way. Um, I mean, Conversations is an hour-long show Mm -hmm. and that is the most downloaded podcast the ABC has, so that clearly tells you that there is still an appetite for quality long form of course we've got other, you know, we experiment with short form as well. We have a podcast called Little Tiny about little moments in history you might not know about. You know, did you know the Titanic sank because the man who had the key to the binoculars cabinet had hidden it somewhere and, you know, the rest they say is history. And we decided for that one, Let's do a really short form podcast 5 to 8 minutes you can consume it in the coffee queue and you just want to be taken to another place for just a short moment or you've got a short drive home you know you, your commute home is only 15 minutes what can we slip into your life at that point but short doesn't also need to be um naff i mm. mean that that podcast is a, a deep dive into some amazing historical moments and whimsy and good sound design. And, but we still managed to deliver it in 12 minutes. And um, so you can do quality stuff that's short. You can do quality stuff that's long. You can do rubbish stuff that's both of those things too.
1: And I feel like you've mentioned your team a lot. You're very intentional with how you lead. Your role as a mentor and a leader, what do you try and impress upon the people who work with you and for you?
0: Be a good person. um, You know, treat people respectfully. I'm on a big roll at the moment about pick up the phone. Okay. I feel like in this email culture, we've got to a point where so much argy bargy happens on an email because nuance is lost and you you know the tendency on an email, if there's a slight disconnect is mm. to roll in and um, start having a to and fro. And so a couple of times recently I've said to staff, you know, the best way for you to tackle this is just pick up the phone And there was an example of that this week and and this particular executive producer did that with someone and she rang me back later. She said, that was the best tip ever because I got to exactly where I needed to be and I know myself, I need to do that more. And so I try to remind myself, what's the best way to solve this problem? Actually, it's probably picking up the phone, not firing off a narky email Um, I've also been lucky enough to work as an air checker with the ABC. And so what an air checker is, is the person who helps develop the on-air talent. Okay. So if you're the presenter of RN's Breakfast Show, um, we want you to be great on the air. And so we will put that person with an air checker who gives them feedback. So I've worked with people at all levels. It might be a a new presenter in regional radio, or it might be someone fantastic like a Richard Feidler or, um... Patricia Cavallis from RN Drive that I worked with. And what I try to do in those situations is walk into the room um, with positive regard, because these are people who get up often at 3am in the morning or stay up till 10pm at night to present a show every single day. And Mm. that is incredible. I mean, to get on the air with the amount of information the overload. They might have had a bad night, no sleep. The kids been crying, and they still do it day in day out. So, even if I have, you know, tough feedback to deliver, I try to stop and think. Okay, this person got up at three o'clock this morning. They've been on air for three hours. Start at that point. And then you find that, that any feedback that you're giving, both both constructive and, and also extremely positive, you're trying to give it from a place of positive regard. Mm, that intention makes a really big difference to how you approach a conversation, doesn't it? It's huge. And it's also just, it checks you as well. Because if you're having a bad day and, you know, or you're you're dealing with a staff member where... You feel like, yes, they're doing the wrong thing again and I need to go in and give them feedback again and you kind of get exasperated, which I can do. I have high standards on myself and high standards on people around me and that's something I need to keep in check. Mm. And so I try to also just take a breath before I'm giving that feedback to make sure I'm not bringing my stuff into it as well.
1: I imagine part of your role too is sort of almost acting as the buffer between your team who you're permitting to innovate and take risks and have a go, and then the rest of the organisation who are probably, you know, wanting everything to go right the first time and kind of that that piece you were talking about on the opportunity
0: cost of the, you know, finite resources, that must be tricky. It is tricky and you are having to make decisions in any creative process, (laughs) which is, Really, I, I love the laughter there. Where are we going? <laughs> um, there is a point at which you're in the, the I call it the gut churn phase. So okay. there's a point on any podcast production where everyone gets really a bit, like emotions are high and people feel like it's not going right and it gets tense and messy and, you know, sometimes there's tears and whatever. And I find the best tactic there is to acknowledge that and call that out and say, okay, everyone, we're in the messy bit now. We're in the hard bit. We're trying to pilot a show and we haven't got it right yet. And everyone's tense and everyone's got a different point of view. Let's just recognize that for what that is. Mm. And I've I've started to say to people, okay, we're in this phase and I've been in this phase 20 times now. I know it's your first time in this phase, but let me tell you, we sort it out. It's going to be okay. Just one trust me. No one's going to die. <laughs> um, so that it's useful sometimes just to call it you know, for what it is. Um, And in any creative process, there is a period where you're balancing not overcooking it or getting it sometimes done is better than perfect, especially in a fast moving digital. Like if we waited till everything was absolutely perfect, we'd never put anything out. So you're picking that tipping point between, look, it's pretty good. We want it to be a bit better or actually this is pretty good. And we'll just iterate as we go along. And that's a judgment call that you're making all the time
1: driving change in a big organisation, uh, but also continually putting yourself through those gut churning moments, that that can be pretty draining in, yeah. in terms of energy levels. How do you re-energise yourself or, or take time to make sure that you can go the distance with that?
0: I would say I'm not particularly good at that. I've become better and that was forced upon me by quite a serious workplace injury where I had, you know, quite severe tendonitis and and RSI in my wrists and elbows. And look, if anyone had said that to me um, before, I would have gone, oh yeah, a bit of tendonitis, you know, whatever. It actually ended up being very severe and led to time off work and surgery and, and lots of therapy. And it was... I have to say the the toughest thing I've gone through, because it also happened right at the moment I was really leaning back into my career after having children. So it felt like a double whammy and it sort of affected my psychology quite Mm. a bit. And, but it, you know, now that I'm sort of, you know, I'm not 100%, but I've come a long way since that um, time, it... It quite literally forced me to stop. Mm. Um, I had to have a break and I had to rest. And a lot of it was caused by, you know, being on mobile phones till late at night and doing too much typing at 100 miles an hour and doing editing on equipment, you know, till all hours. And I had to realise that that was a dysfunctional way to work. So it taught me where my tipping point is like I still get some pain when I've been doing too much and now I recognize those signs earlier but it's still a work in progress I've got to say sometimes I ignore those signs and I know they're there mm-hmm. and I just keep pushing through because I want to get stuff done and I want to get yep. stuff out and there's another deadline and it, I'm not you know and I have two young children and a husband who works as well and It is a constant battle because I want to be a very present parent who's involved with them as well. And that means inevitably that exercise is the thing that goes. Mm -hmm. And then that has a physical impact on me or we don't eat as well that week because we've ordered takeaway or something. So it's just, I've not nailed it. Let me know when someone has. (laughs) I think anyone has. We're all
1: making it up as (laughs) we go. My
0: friends think I've dropped off the face of the earth in the last year, I'm sure. Where's she gone? (laughs) No, she's at work again. Um, But I guess... I come back to well at least I'm lucky because I I love my work so Totally and when
1: you re-engage after taking being forced to stop, did you re-engage differently?
0: Did you change the way you looked at how you managed your time and energy? The podcast that I really got into a few years ago, which has now stopped unfortunately, called Note to Self, hosted by a woman called Manush Zomarodi. And it started as a tech show. Like it okay. was about living in the tech world, but but it was about being a human in the tech world. Nice. So there'd be an episode about, you know, what's going on with tech in the classroom? You know, what's that all about? And what's the impact? Or What happens when you text and drive or what happens to your brain when you're multitasking? And it was such a great podcast and she would speak to the best people in the world that are right at the cutting edge of the science around that. And they all say you know, single tasking, turning off your email, don't have distractions, you know, the p- constant pinging on your phone. One of the other tips that um, came out is turning your phone to grayscale. Have you ever done that? I haven't. I'm going to go do this. It, it, it's so unbelievable what that does. So you, I think you go into settings, yeah. there's a function there where you can basically turn your screen to black and white. So it doesn't stimulate you in the same way. It's in, And also you don't you just don't go and pick it up as often. Interesting. It does amazing things to you. I'm going to try that. It, it, you just try it. This and weekend. It's really weird. So you have to sort of really persevere for the first 48 hours, <laughs> but it's incredible what little things like that. I don't have my email set to ping on my mobile phone. Yeah. Um, that would drive me absolutely nuts if absolutely. that was pinging all the time. Um, I know people who've deleted you know, Facebook apps off their phone and because it's just such a time suck. So it's really asking when is technology useful to you and when are you a slave to it? Mm. And I do think about that. And again, we in the team talk about that a little bit about how can we be the masters of it without being a slave to it? I love that. That's Mm. a good
1: prompt for self-reflection for each and every one of us, I think.
0: And and to be honest, this RSI thing taught me as well, like, what do I want to model for my children? Yeah. I don't want to model sitting at the dinner table with a phone. Mm. And final question. I'm so grateful
1: for your time. You've been an absolute gem. And and there's so many things that I can't wait to re-listen to this podcast so I can write down all the notes and ideas. I think there's so much pragmatic advice that you've given people and some really amazing points of self-reflection too. So thank you for that. Oh,
0: my pleasure. We love trying to
1: get people out there and doing things differently with this podcast. So Coffee Pods is all about how do we make sure that ideas turn into action? So I'd love to ask you if you could leave our audience with a call to action, what would you like to encourage them to go and do? Aside from turning their phones to (laughs) (laughs) Grayscale.
0: So this will sound funny after saying tech is bad for you. Um, The main challenge with podcasting is that not enough people know how to do it. So in Australia, more people know about podcasting than America, which is interesting because America is a much bigger podcasting market. Mm. But the amount of people who actually listen to it, so there's a difference between awareness and listening. And I have found from my own experience, from, you know, everything from my sister to my parents, friends, to people I meet, that people are like, I'd like to listen to it, but I actually don't know what to do. So my plea to you and everyone that is listening to this is if you are into podcasting, presumably you are, you're listening to one, (laughs) um, is to show somebody else how to do it. So help them download a podcast app, show them how you search for the name of a show and teach them how to do it because um, I need to scale it. (laughs) And and the best way way is for other people to share that. Um, It was a real moment for me about a year ago, my sister, who is just a little younger than me, you know, she's in her late 30s. She's a media consumer, savvy with technology. She said to me, oh, wow, I'm loving the TV show War on Waste. How fantastic. I said, oh, we're doing a podcast. And she knows what I do for a living, right? (laughs) Yeah. She says, oh, great. How do I find it? And I say, wait for it. I say, well, download a podcast app and find it. And she says, okay, Uh, what do I look for? Do I search for ABC? And that was the moment for me. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, we've got so much work to do yeah. if my technologically savvy, media-consuming sister who's in her 30s doesn't know, even once she's got a podcasting app, that she has to search for the name of the podcast. Mm. So please help me. Find a friend. <laughs> subscribe them to some great podcasts. I don't care whose they are. Um, the more people that are listening, the more podcasts will be created. So... um Find a great podcast, share it with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard it here. Get the word out there. And,
1: Kelly, thank you for everything you've done to, to build this medium in Australia. I mean, it's one that I enjoy tapping into every week. It's taken me to have conversations with people I never would have otherwise met, connect me with people in the audience that I never would have otherwise known. And I'm blown away by that the change it's helping them create. And in part, it's because of the generosity of sharing of people like you. So, uh, thank
0: you. The range of guests you've had have been incredible. I've been dipping in over the last few weeks and thinking, gee, there's so much greater advice here. And whether it's somebody who's running Spotify or Mm. running Atlassian or whatever they're doing, um, sometimes it's, it's the little tips around, you know, oh, I fit my exercise in at uh, one o'clock in my lunch break, you know, (laughs) and it's those things as much as this is how I, um, you know, get my corporate goals. Completely Um, agree. So it's, it's fantastic. You should feel really proud. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again.
1: Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholy.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom Thanks for fueling your difference with me.